Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. In three, two, one. And speaking of my son, the way you talk about the military... Okay, it's September of 2020. Democratic candidate Joe Biden is debating Republican President Donald Trump on national TV. And all of a sudden, things turn personal. Biden's son Hunter, who struggled with addiction for years, becomes the focus of the debate. Hunter got thrown out of the military. He was thrown out, dishonorably discharged. That's not true. It wasn't cocaine use. And he didn't have a job until you became vice president. Once you None became of that vice president, he made a fortune in Ukraine, in China, in Moscow, that is simply and various not other places. True. He my made son, a fortune. Gentlemen, my son. And he didn't have a job. My son, like a lot of people, like a lot of people we know at home, had a drug problem. He's overtaken it. He's, he's, he's fixed it. He's worked on it. And I'm proud of him. But why was he giving tens son. of millions right. of dollars? Hey, Hunter, how's it going? Hey, Vic, how are you? It's good to talk to you. What did that moment mean to you after all the hell your addiction put your dad through? Well, you know, in the moment, it's exactly what I knew that he would say, not because it was some rehearsed thing, um, because the one thing I do know from suffering from addiction, but also from being in recovery, is that I don't know anybody, Vic, that doesn't have someone in their life, if it's not them personally, who has gone through at least a part of the hell that my family and I have gone through around addiction. I have never met anyone, and I don't know if you have, that hasn't come up to me and said, thank you for telling your story because my son or my, my, uh, yeah. my dad or my uncle Everybody has um, has an experience with it. And when he looked into that camera and said, I'm proud of my son, I think a lot of people saw their dad and hoped that their dad would be that same person. Today on the podcast, how Hunter Biden faced down his personal demons despite an intense political spotlight and how he did it with the help of his family. I'm Vic Vela. I'm a journalist, a storyteller, and a recovering drug addict. And this is Back From Broken. Stories about the highest highs, the darkest moments, and what it takes to make a comeback. I've been wanting to do your show. I've listened to all of, almost all of them. And uh, what you're doing is, is amazing. I, I really appreciate you having me on. I got a message through a friend of a friend that they're interested in having me come on the show. And I told everybody, the only thing I want to do is, is this show. Wow. Because <laughs> I listened to your story and there are so many parallels. And it, it felt like the first time I walked into a room in a meeting and heard other people talk so openly and honestly about what they've gone through. It gives, it gave me so much hope. And uh, Mm -hmm. I know you're giving a lot of other people a lot of hope. 
Oh man, that means a lot. And and I got to tell you Before we get into Hunter's story, I just want to remind you that this is a show about recovery, not politics. So all the stuff Donald Trump was bashing Hunter for in that debate clip, we're not going to get into any of that. Look, I've been to hundreds of recovery meetings, and not once has anyone talked about politics or asked who you voted for. We only care about getting better. Hunter recently published a memoir called Beautiful Things. In it, he covers more about his addiction struggles than we could possibly touch on in our interview. And there's so much personal heartache in it, too, including where he opens up about a car crash that killed Hunter's mom and sister when he was a child. What resonated most for me as someone in recovery was how Hunter's family was there for him through it all, including his dad, who's now the president of the United States, and Hunter's brother, Bo Biden, former attorney general of Delaware, who also won the Bronze Star for his military service in Iraq. Bo was always there to help Hunter through some of the lowest moments in his life, until Bo died of cancer in 2015. It's hard to even talk about Bo thinking of me as, any, as, as separate from him in any way, to tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were we were that close. We talked almost every day of our lives, except for maybe the period of time that Bo was serving in Iraq. And he was just a constant. He was always there, as I was for him, too. Um, and he was always there to say, OK, let's get back up. We can we can do it together just constantly. We hear it all the time when we're in the throes of addiction and the people who love us, the first thing they ask is why, why, why? But Bo didn't do that. No, and I think it's the the most frustrating question that you can ask an addict because uh, there's no good answer. And he never never asked because he knew that. He knew me so well that uh, he knew that I wouldn't consciously be making a choice to harm myself uh, in the way that I was, whether it was through um, alcohol or crack or whatever uh, drug that was, uh, you know, that I could get my hands on at, at the time. Bo Biden was instrumental in getting Hunter help for alcoholism in 2003. Hunter was 33 years old at the time, and it was his first attempt at getting sober. He actually took you to your first uh, AA meeting and took you to rehab, right? Yeah, he he um, he became. I actually became really close with all the people in uh, that uh, that were in my um, uh, home meeting. And oh, that's amazing. Yeah, and it, I said to my dad one time, I said, "Why did you make us love each other so much?" Um, and it's an, I think an incredible compliment uh, to my dad, but also it was a uh, you know, a real question. Like God, it's it's hard uh, when you feel the same level of emotion that when another person is in pain, as I did when my brother was sick. And pain was just a thread throughout your family, right? It was just. Uh... The tragedies that your dad had to endure, that you had to endure? Yeah, you know, 
I, I always say that there's, you know, there's one universal um, thing that every, every human will experience. And unfortunately that's pain. Uh, mm. But not only was I lucky enough to have the love of my family, um, but I had the love of a community too, that when my mom and my, my little sister died in that car accident, Bo and I were in, uh, you know, an entire community rallied around us. And not many people get that. So many people have to suffer alone. And, uh, and, uh, and I, I sometimes feel guilty because of the fact that we had so much uh, love that was given to us. Hunter Biden stayed sober for seven years after Bo helped him in 2003. He was married and had a family and his life was stable. But things changed when his dad became vice president of the United States. This was a new challenge for Hunter. He'd been working as a lobbyist, but the Obama team didn't like the idea of the vice president's son doing that kind of work. So he had to change careers and shifted his focus on investing in natural resource and tech companies. By 2010, the stress of starting his career all over derailed his recovery. Well, number one, it's just, it's stressful. It's stressful yeah. at any, any time in your life. I mean, everyone has probably gone through it and figuring out, you know, how are you going to pay the bills? And um, it, it was difficult, but it wasn't an excuse to start drinking again. Uh, but what I did was what everybody um, told me in uh, my meeting and the guys that I was sober with and talk to on a daily basis that I did exactly what I told from the very beginning not to do is I stopped going to meetings as much. Uh, I always, you know, at the end had an, you know, an excuse. Well, I can't go because it's, you know, the anonymity is, um, you know, difficult now with my dad as vice president. I I can't go because I have so much work to do to figure out how I'm going to pay the bills. Mm -hmm. There was always an excuse. And, you know, I found myself on a plane back from Europe after a business trip. And I was um, sitting alone and a uh, flight attendant came by and I was just about seven years sober and uh, asked me if I wanted a drink. And, you know, without even thinking, I said, sure, I'll have a Bloody Mary. And then it was off to the races. You, um, you know, that began, you know, kind of a long back and forth of, uh, you know, relapses and, and rehab trips. It was a real hard time for you. And then, of course, Bo got sick. Um, you write, and this this really jumped out at me, Hunter, um, that uh, you actually told him, you, you told him that you, you promised you would take care of yourself and, and you would stop drinking when he was in the hospital, right? Yep. Yep. How yeah. hard was, how difficult was that, you know, knowing that, um, you know, what happened afterward where you, it just became harder for you? I still have an enormous amount of guilt over it. And it's still hard to think back to that promise and realize uh, and, and know that I, that I broke it. Uh, and I think that, Part of the reason that uh, 
I knew I had to write this book is that it's not only important that you get honest with the people around you um, when you're an addict, but it is absolutely necessary that you get honest with yourself. And one of the things I need to be honest with is that I broke a promise to the person that um, meant more to me in the world than anything. Um, my brother, who I, who I never broke a promise to. And the trick is, is that guilt is an appropriate uh, feeling to have when you do something wrong. Uh, but if you allow it to morph into shame, uh, it can be incredibly toxic, particularly yeah. to an addict. Yeah, that's exactly right. And did you carry that shame for a while? Oh, God, I drank over it and used over it and stayed hidden over it uh, for years until um, until I got clean uh, uh, close to two years ago. I mean, it was it was the constant um, that shame uh, more than anything else. Well, let's talk about what the the drinking looked like after uh, Bo passed away. Um, you wrote something in the book that said, I was scared to death of what Bo's passing was going to do to uh, Joe, your dad. Um, and, and Joe Biden was scared to death of what it was going to do to you. Um, how did your addiction worsen after Bo passed away? Well, grief is a incredibly complicated thing. And uh, when I, I know that we were all grieving um, before the day that Bo actually died because of the inevitability of the disease that he had, um, which was glioblastoma multiform, uh, brain cancer um, for short, but it's a death sentence. And when Bo died, there was such an outpouring of love, just such an outpouring of love that uh, from thousands, literally thousands and thousands of people stood in line at, uh, at uh, his uh, casket wow. and, and the stories that each and every one of them had about um, my brother or my brother and me or my dad, my brother and me. But after that period of uh, euphoria, for lack of a better phrase, after Bo died in the sense of just feeling so enveloped by love and it begins to fade and the realization of just how alone in your grief you are, just like everyone is. Uh, and the, the way in which the family um, and the people closest to me um, were dealing with the same thing that I was dealing with. And I did what, um, what addicts are prone to do. I reached for um, the thing that I knew that would um, push the pain away. And, you know, and I, and I went out and I bought a bottle of vodka and, uh, and then that was the beginning of uh, a relapse that uh, lasted uh, for far too long and did far too much damage. Yeah, you talked about, you know, walking to a liquor store and, and your hands are shaking. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're talking about it right now and I can feel that feeling. 
um, that flutter in your stomach, the 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 uh, the rush of adrenaline, the idea that you know in in one fell swoop you're not going to feel anymore, uh, and there is a uh, a part of the brain that at least the way that my addict's brain is wired that says you know the answer you know the answer go do it and it's so important uh to me in my life right now to just remember that that is the uh the biggest lie and i am doing everything in my power on a daily basis uh to remind myself of that You know, you and I have something in common, which is obviously cocaine. Um, I get it. You reached a point that probably I did where alcohol was boring for me without cocaine. Um, and there's such different drugs. What led you to smoking crack and how did it consume you? You know, it's, it's a series of events that uh, just, I, I, can't, I can't explain and, and, uh, I was in a um, an outpatient clinic, and I came in um, and I told the uh, the counselors that I had uh, that I had relapsed. I told them what I'd done. I used uh, cocaine and I drank, and they said that they wanted me to get tested, and I did not want to get tested because I didn't uh, knowing that, uh, which is something that should change, is that. Re- uh, Recovery centers aren't um, necessarily governed by HIPAA, mm-hmm. and that it was um, information that could be um, uh, that that could be leaked. and And uh, and I was a public figure, and I just said, "Well, I just told you what I did. I don't want to be tested." And they said, "Well, you can't come back to the program unless you get tested." I said, "Even though I've admitted to it," and they said, "No, nope, you can't come back into the program." And I walked out, and um walking down the street and I see someone that I know of and I've known um, uh, being in DC for years and years was a, um, uh, a uh, had this crack smoker and uh, her name, uh, which I used in the book was Rhea and I flagged her down and said, Hey, um, you know, this is what I want. And she looked at me and said, no, you don't. I said, yeah, I do. Oh. And, uh, and she got it. And we never think to put the pipe down, do we? Oh God. Isn't it the most insidious? And I, I, I talk about giving me chills is I, um, remember listening to your story about how, uh, you know, going out behind the dumpster and in meetings, I was, you know, still trying to function to a certain degree in a normal society and I would be, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, holding a board meeting um, for uh, the World Food Program, and I'd have to um, excuse myself to go to the bathroom to smoke crack. Um, and it became something that was l- literally every 15 minutes. It's just the most powerful drug in terms of the compulsion on uh, just constantly to go back to it, constantly. But luckily, the other constant in Hunter Biden's life, his family, 
was about to come through for him. More on that after the break. Hey, it's Vic. I really appreciate you being a back from broken listener. It means a lot. Now, can you do me a favor? Can you take a moment to find Back From Broken on whatever podcast app you use, like Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and give us a like, a rating, and even a review? If you think what we're doing matters, if you think it's important to talk about recovery with compassion and hope, all you got to do to help spread the word is like, rate, or review this podcast. It really does help other people find Back From Broken. Thanks for listening. And thanks for supporting podcasts from Colorado Public Radio. From 2016 to 2019, Hunter Biden's life was a mess. He and his wife divorced, and he drank and smoked crack just about every day. His attempts to get clean just weren't working. At one point, Hunter drove from the East Coast to Arizona to check into a wellness clinic there, but his drive basically became a 14-day crack-fueled bender. In 2018, he spent the spring in Los Angeles, holed up at the Chateau Marmot. That's the hotel where actor John Belushi died from an overdose. Hunter would party with strangers, smoking all day. Occasionally, he would take drives through L.A.'s Laurel Canyon Boulevard, and he'd write poignant letters to Bo as he watched the sunrise from Runyon Canyon. Then he would go back to the hotel, where he would cook and smoke crack all night. Hunter ended up moving back east in the fall of 2018. His family, especially Joe Biden and his stepmother Jill, were desperate to get him help. Hunter, take us back, and it was probably around this time, uh, back to a period in either late 2018 or early 2019 when you got a call from your mother, Jill Biden, um, inviting you to dinner at your parents' place in Delaware. What happened when you got there? She was imploring me to come see them because they missed me so much. I had been living in, uh, unbeknownst to them, in motels, up and down uh, 95 between Wilmington, Delaware and Boston. And uh, for some reason I, I picked up the phone. My dad would call me every day and still does and always has. And if he doesn't get me, he texts me 32 times, but I was ignoring them all. But for some reason I answered my mom's call and, and, uh, and somehow she got through to me and I said, okay, I'll, I'll come down. I was only a couple hours away. And I drive down the driveway and I walk in uh, and immediately see my three daughters, um, uh, who are all adults now, 27, 22, and 20, Naomi Finnegan and Maisie, and my niece and nephew, uh, Hunter, who's named after me, and Natalie, and two counselors, and my mom and dad. And I just said, you know, screw this. I, are you have to be kidding me. I'm not, I am not doing this. And I uh, just walked back out of the house intending to go to my car and my daughters came running out after me. And I, um, 
and one of them grabbed my keys and was begging me, Dad, please, please, please. And I said, honey, I can't, I'm not doing this. You, I can't believe that you guys did this to me. This is so wrong. It's so, I, 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 I felt such the victim. And I literally decided, I, okay, take the keys. I'm, I'm going to walk out of here. And uh, I started up the driveway and my dad ran after me and put his hand on my shoulder and turned me around and just put me in a bear hug and said, honey, and just started to cry. He said, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Please, please help me. Tell me what to do. And I said, okay, dad, all right, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to go get help. I'm, I'll do it. I'll do it tonight. And I, I knew that, uh, that I had no intention whatsoever to do what I just told them. And that's how powerful my addiction was because I don't know a greater love than that. What do you suppose was going through your dad's mind as he held you and cried? I think, uh, I know exactly what was going through his mind, which was that he just had lost his oldest son and he was about to lose his only living other son. And I know that, that there's nothing more important to my dad above everything than his family. One thing I always say when I tell my story um, is that, you know, while my addiction was very painfully personally, of course, it was much worse on my parents. Oh, and everybody that loves you around you. And I just, I, I keep it at the top of my, um, my brain. That pain that I caused, just to, that the, the frustration beyond frustration, the despair, the people that are trying to save someone feel when they try and try again and try again and just can't get through. And so often erroneously think that it has anything to do with their, their deficiencies because it doesn't. Even the most heartfelt intervention doesn't always lead directly to recovery. When Hunter arrived at rehab in March of 2019, he called an Uber before he even checked in. The driver then dropped Hunter off at the airport where he boarded a plane to California. Hunter was committed to only one thing, vanishing for good. It was around this time that Hunter started to become a punching bag for conservative critics who were on television asking the world, where's Hunter? At that time, Hunter was holed up in an Airbnb in Malibu, drinking and smoking crack. He says he didn't really notice those attacks on TV. Vic, I was smoking crack every 15 minutes. I was sleeping maybe 10 hours a week, maybe. Oh my gosh. And, uh, these attacks that started to come in from, uh, you know, the right wing media and Rudy Giuliani and others, um, 
to tell you the truth, there's a part of me that could have cared less. Uh, if it didn't have to do with where I was going to um, uh, find my, my next hit, how I was going to smoke my next hit, and who was uh, going to be there, it didn't enter my, my consciousness. Yeah, so it sounds like they didn't make matters worse for you because you were already there. Oh, I was already there. I think that they intended to make matters worse, um, uh, but but I think the opposite actually ended up happening. What happened next changed everything for Hunter. It was May 2019, and he had just been kicked out of his hotel because of all the people going in and out at all times of the day. He was sitting near the pool to plan out his next move, That's when a guy in a lounge chair next to him struck up a conversation. He took a liking to Hunter and suggested that he may hit it off with his friend, Melissa Cohen. And he was right. Hunter vividly remembers walking into the restaurant where he and Melissa met for their first date. And I saw um, in her eyes something that I've fully recognized for some reason. And that was the unconditional love that uh, had been given to me my whole life, primarily by my brother, my dad, my three daughters. Uh, And I saw that and, and I reached for it. At a moment that it doesn't have anything to do with any rational thought, I knew that this was a person that if I got honest with that could made me help me save myself. And I did. Yeah. And then, you know, you, you start dating and, and she's helping to nurse you back to life, uh, deleting every number in your phone that didn't contain the word Biden. And uh, yeah, she, you yeah. ended up getting married shortly after she saved you. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and the one thing I, I, uh, I know is that she saved me by reminding me of all of the people that had been trying to save me for my, uh, for my entire life um, uh, in the moments in which I needed it. And I allowed her to do things that I would never allow anybody else to do, like take my keys, take my phone, take any electronic device that I had and get rid of it, delete all of the contacts um, in my phone. I mean, at one point, you know, I mean, Melissa took all my clothes and that's what I needed because I was absolutely bargaining with her on a hourly basis when I could lift my head off a pillow to say, Hey, I, you know, what about just a drink? What, what if I only drink um, vodka between the hours of 8 AM and 10 and it's a really, really hard job, as you know, to wrangle a, a, a hardcore addict like that. Oh. It, it takes an enormous amount of love, but it uh, it also takes an enormous amount of stamina and uh, and strength. And she is all of those things. And in May 2019, just days after meeting her, Hunter and Melissa got married. At the same time, Hunter's dad was campaigning for the country's highest office. Now your dad's running for president. Uh, 
Did your dad's campaign, did you fear that the stress would be too much for you to handle so early in your sobriety? Um, no, but I still have a healthy fear of, uh, anything that, uh, that causes stress in that I know that I can't afford to, um, to allow that to, uh, to run wild. And when you're so stripped down to the bone, uh, Focusing on um, what is in front of you at the outset is a um, necessity. Um, and what Melissa did for me was she put in front of me uh, things that were beautiful, beautiful things. Hmm. She put in front of me the, the possibility of a life. She uh, put in front of me my paints so that I could start painting again. She put in front of me the time and the space to write like I had always done in my life. And I just started to focus on that. I started to focus on rebuilding the relationship with my three girls and trying to make amends for all of the pains just by my absence that I caused. All the other stuff seemed like nothing more than a, uh, than an, an enormous, <laughs> incredibly <laughs> consequential distraction. <laughs> you know, somebody just said uh, the one thing you realize in, uh, in recovery is that the world does not revolve around you. But there were days in which, um, uh, during the last couple of years, in which it seemed like the rest of the world hadn't gotten that message. was it like you're you know through the campaign and even now after the election you're still a regular target for people on conservative media um when you're just trying to get through the day sober and people are questioning your character digging up your past on a daily basis how do you handle it well part of it's easy because i know the truth and I, and uh and the truth has revealed itself um, in very stark terms about um, some of the more um, scurrilous uh, and uh, pointed attacks against me uh, that try to implicate my dad in some way. And so having the truth on your side is, um, is an advantage that I've had from the outset. But the other stuff um, is something that I just don't pay attention to. Uh, I don't read Twitter. I don't read the tabloids. I really don't. And I, and I, and, but by the way, it's not like that's an easy thing to do if you pick up your phone and you have an Apple news feed. Um, but I make a conscious decision that that doesn't bear any resemblance to the reality that I'm living in. And I say this to everybody that is, um, that, that is, that when I, when I was actively um, uh, before the pandemic, but when in, in my past recoveries, when I was really active in, uh, in the program, and I would say getting sober is easy. All you have to do is change everything. And part of changing everything for me was realizing that, uh, that I can only control uh, the things that I have um, dominion over. And that's not much, but I do know this is that I can control how I wake up in the morning and think about what I have to be grateful for every morning. 
and set the table for the day that way. And then when the attacks start coming in in a way that obviously I have to engage in some way, um, uh, I just try to remain centered in that gratitude. That's a man who's been running for office since the age of 27 as the rest of his family comes out to celebrate as well. The son Hunter, the target of so many, gets a hug from his dad. Joe Biden never wavered in that love no matter what was thrown at his son. The night the election was called for Joe Biden, Hunter and the rest of his family stood on stage at a victory rally with the president-elect. Hunter was holding his young son, who he named after Bo. It was a historic moment. And you were sober. What was that experience like? What were you feeling on stage? I was in mixed emotions. And I say that because my brother wasn't there. And, uh, and that overwhelming sense of, uh, of not having literally just his physical presence. I know that he was there in, uh, in a way that I very much believe. And I felt that but not being able to turn and, uh, and hug him in that moment was, uh, was really difficult. Difficult is a, the, a, a vast understatement. Um, but I, but I, was, uh, I was so proud that, uh, that not just by the achievement, but by this is that not just was with my dad standing there and not just that he had me next to him, but my entire family, all of us never once wavered. We always stuck together uh, because that's the most important uh, thing I know, not just to my dad, but to all of us is that we're together. The very last page of Hunter Biden's book, Beautiful Things, features an old photo of Hunter as a boy catching a football. The pic was inscribed by his dad on Christmas Day 2018. It reads, Hunt, the bravest boy and man I've ever known. I love you more than the whole sky. Dad. What do you think Bo would say about you today? Oh, I think that he, I, I know what he would say. He'd say, I'm proud of you, buddy. I knew you could do it. You know, Bo gave me uh, the strength. And I know that the thing that I always had was my brother's unconditional love and pride in me. And I'm absolutely certain that today he would just be filled with with that same amount of pride and love, and I'm certain a lot of relief <laughs> that we're where we are at the very, at this moment. Thank you, Vic, and uh, I so appreciate you um, uh, for having me on. But I so appreciate you for what you're doing. I think 
that it is uh, so important to remind people that we have uh, a disease, um, uh, but God, there's so many people in recovery out there that have so much to offer. Yeah. Isn't that right? You know, I, I, I proudly label myself a recovering drug addict, but I, I, because I'm proud of the fact that I'm in recovery, but I'm also proud of the fact that I'm much more than just a drug addict. Yeah, exactly, man. It's exactly right. And I keep reminding people is that God Almighty, the the most brilliant and uh, creative and um, uh, and and often tenacious people I've ever met are recovering addicts. It is, and uh, and it's all a part of who I am. Um, I hope that I'm uh, able to show people that you don't have to be ashamed of of it. Hunter lives with his wife, Melissa, and his son, Bo Jr. He says he talks to his dad, the president of the United States, every day. And when we spoke, he was coming up on two years of sobriety. Back from Broken is a show about how we are all broken sometimes and how we need help from time to time. If you're struggling with addiction, you can find a list of resources at our website, backfrombroken.org. And hey, this is actually our final episode of season two. Thank you so much for listening and to everyone who shared their story with us. If you like what you hear, please review the show on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show and it lets us know that you want us to come back for future seasons. Back From Broken is hosted by me, Vic Vela. It's a production of Colorado Public Radio's Audio Innovation Studio and CPR News. Our producers are Joe Erickson, Luis Antonio Perez, and Rebecca Romberg. Find a list of everyone who helped make this episode in the show notes. This podcast is made possible by Colorado Public Radio members. Learn about supporting Back From Broken at CPR.org.